0: Theme for this morning if you like me are a fan of that excellent um, DreamWorks film Prince of Egypt, then you may get that song uh, there can be miracles if you believe <laughs> in your head not the high point of the, um, the movie in terms of theological reflection but a catchy song. Um, if you have not seen that film by the way that's, that's a well worth it as far as um, animated films go, it's champagne. Well, sparkling animated film, technically. <laughs> um, the John's Gospel, which we have read for us by Cam, is um, a place where we get not just an account of Jesus' wise and thoughtful theological teaching, but also of extraordinary, what John calls, miraculous signs. In our passage, we read about the turning of huge vats of water used for ceremonial washing into wine. In chapter five, we read about somebody who, uh, who's unable to walk, suddenly able to walk again. Jesus feeds thousands of people with a small picnic of food. Helps a man born blind to see his friend Lazarus, who had dead three days, rise back to life. In fact, the gospel ends with Jesus himself having been crucified and entombed, rising again to new life. The, the gospel finishes by saying uh, that Jesus actually did many other miraculous signs beyond those recorded in the book this is from john 20 verse 31 30 and 31 jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these ones are written that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and by believing may have life in his name can you believe though could you should you how can you believe that Jesus turned water into wine, made a crippled person walk, helped a blind person see, fed thousands with a picnic, raised his friend and indeed himself rose to new life. Can you really, can anyone really here in 2022 in the 21st century university being educated people uh, believe such things? There are some people who say absolutely no way. Uh, David Hume, the philosopher famously said, no testimony is sufficient to establish a miracle, and unless the testimony is of such a kind that its falsehood would be more miraculous than the fact that it endeavours to establish. Or Rudolf Bultmann, um, the theologian of a sort, said that the historical method includes the presupposition that history is a unity in a sense of a closed continuum of effects in which individual events are connected by the succession of cause and effect. This continuum, furthermore, cannot be rent by the interference of supernatural transcendent powers. There cannot be miracles. But can you? How could you? Why would anyone? Why is it that there are groups across university campuses in the first world that continue to read the Gospels like John's Gospel and speak of miracles like the miracles of Jesus? Uh, Why is it that there are professors in your universities, science professors, philosophy professors, uh, who believe such things? How, How and why? We're going to look at that this morning, and um, and actually I want to pull that question apart into three bits, because actually there's, yeah, we have that instinctive reaction, huh, miracles, how could you? But there's actually kind of three ways in which people are underneath that instinctive reaction. There's three slightly different reasons for that that people have. One of those, and the strongest objection to miracles, is that some people say, it's it, the, Miracles are like almost impossible to conceive of. They're incoherent. There can't be such a thing as a miracle. It's almost like a nonsense concept. That's the first thing we'll consider briefly. Miracles are nonsense. The second one is is slightly weaker, but still is a strong one in terms of what's justified belief. What's a warranted belief? Could you ever be justified in believing in a miracle, even if they were possible in theory? Yeah, That's a bit what that David Hume quote is saying. A miracle would only be possible to believe it if the testimony was so, 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 so strong that in the end, that's so miraculous that you never will believe a miracle. Here's the second one. So nonsense, unwarranted, and then thirdly, um, unwise or um, uh, unhelpful, that the belief in miracles has an effect on scientific thinking. It creates a mood of um, an intellectual mood that actually is counterproductive for human knowledge. So that's a bit more of a, say, a sociological or methodological thing. So anyway, we're going to tackle those three with just a few brief comments on each and an opportunity for questions if time is there. Otherwise, you can always email us or um, grab me up after we finish formally. First, is is it nonsense? Is it coherent to believe in miracles? Some people want to argue that there is just no... Philosophical place for miracles. Now, it's important to notice with this, this is not science versus religion. This is one philosophy against another. This is a philosophy of a scientific materialism or an atheistic scientific uh, materialism over and against a theistic or deistic uh, view of of God and and the world. So it's, it's two different philosophical systems, not science in and of itself. It's a view of the closed universe of cause and effect. So that uh, Rudolf Hutmann quote: uh, the, "The historical method presupposes history as a closed system, like a like a watch that just has its cogs and has its battery. And it just ticks away. Everything is, is is contained and sealed up, and you need to go to a um, you know, like the." The remaining watch shops in the world where some old Ollivander type person will pull it apart with funny little glasses to um, open it up. Otherwise, it's a closed system of causes and effects, individual of events, Bultmann says, by a succession of cause and effect. This continuum cannot be rent, he says, cannot be torn apart by interference of supernatural transcendent powers. There can't be miracles. Or well, the philosopher John Macquarie, he writes, The way of understanding miracles that appeals to breaks in the natural order and to supernatural interventions belongs to the mythological outlook and cannot commend itself in the post-mythological climate of thought. The traditional concept of a miracle is irreconcilable with our modern understanding of both science and history. So that's a philosophical position that says you just can't even conceive of it. Yeah, it rules it out before you get started some people would say that um, uh, and that's their reason how can you believe in miracles they're just they're nonsense and I think the most helpful thing to do in conversation with someone from that point of view or if I'm having that conversation with you is actually to begin by saying well that is a philosophical position that is open to challenge just as any number of philosophical positions are open to challenge that's not science per se, a method of inquiry, investigation, but that's a scientific materialism philosophy about a closed system you know, that could at least be questioned. Here's um, the way the Bible speaks about the world. Um, this comes from uh, another book in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, and describing God's interaction with the world. That's what's well, actually a little different both to this closed system... And actually different to what these guys are saying um, religious people think. Because they're saying religious people think. A closed system that occasionally, you know, the, um, the watch gets opened up. And um, occasionally God takes the watch off the wrist and uh, opens up the back of the watch. And then does a little miracle. And then closes it back up again and puts it back on the wrist. You know, a kind of a, it, the supernatural breaks in occasionally. But listen to how Hebrews chapter 1 speaks about... It's vision of God in the universe. Uh, it speaks about Jesus as God the Son. Um, he's the exact radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. A similar kind of thing is said in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, a very similar kind of idea, Colossians chapter 1. By him all things were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, Colossians 1.17, and in him all things hold together. That is, what we have here is not um, uh, God opening up the watch occasionally out of nowhere, but actually the Christian vision is slightly different again. It is that all the time God is sustaining all that is. That the created world in its orderliness and its causes and its effects and its regular patterns, God is involved all the time. What is called providence. That God is providentially involved. It's not that he created the watch, wound it up, put in a turbo battery and just left it ticking and he might occasionally open up the back of the watch, but it's that actually he's involved all the time in its regularity. He's in it and through it and dwelling amongst it, yeah? Um, and so a miracle is not so much God interrupting a closed system as God's providential rule of the world being done differently from time to time. It's God's ongoing involvement taking a different form than the regular form. So that's that's a helpful thing to begin with. to so say. Actually, there are other... Systems. There is the God opening up the watch system. (laughs) There is the scientific materialism, atheism system. There's also then the Christian theism system of God sustaining all and therefore able, in theory, to interrupt and do things differently from what is normal to suspend his ordinary way of working and do something extraordinary. So that's the first thought. There's, There's nothing actually nonsense or incoherent in and of itself. Unless you first of all adopted a different kind of actual philosophical starting point, so that's a, a opening point to say, ah, oh, maybe at least in theory, as possible, there is a God who is at work in the world. In which case, miracles are not uh, incoherent; they're at least possible if there were a God. Secondly, even if <laughs> even if theoretically it's possible, would you ever be justified in believing in miracles? Yeah. As, uh, again, that David Hume quote, a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature and is as firm and, un- which is as firm and unalterable experience that has been established by these laws, the proof of a law uh, is its, ve- uh, its very nature of the fact that any other argument could possibly not be made against it. In other words, he's saying every single day dead people die. Every single day. Every dead person you see, they die and they stay dead. All of them, over and over again. Every single day. The, ma- the, the weight of evidence is so enormous as for you to say it's a law. Not actually a law, law, but it's a, a, a principle observed so consistently that the, the marshalling of evidence in favour of dead people stay dead is immense. So Hume says you'd never be justified in believing otherwise. You'd need so much evidence to believe otherwise that the evidence itself is kind of miraculous even before you think about the miracle, the bulk of laws, uh, uh, that that, that anything that... uh, You'd you'd be left having to say there must be another explanation. Uh, Or the people were lying. Or there was some kind of illusion. Or actually there is a scientific explanation, we just don't have it yet. That what we think is a miracle is just future science waiting to be unearthed. Something like this. Yeah. That's a pretty strong argument. It's not ruling it out, but it's a strong argument against. Um, What needs to be said uh, to weigh up against this, however, is the kind of miracles we're thinking about. If it's just that, um, that Hamish comes in this morning on his bike and he says, guys, you'll never guess what happened. I was riding down here and then my bike took flight and I flew around the world and I met a pink elephant called Jojo, and my pink elephant pet um, saved me from many troubles and griefs. We sailed on a pirate ship on a marmalade sea, and I brought back a jar of the marmalade, but it smashed just before I got here, which is why I don't have it anymore. But that's why my fingers are a little bit sticky. Do you want to feel my fingers? It's because of the (laughs) marmalade. Then then a a kind of miraculous tale like this. We may say, I'm a bit worried about Hamish. (laughs) (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) Uh, A marvel, if you like, a a wonder without any other context uh, really strains plausibility. It's slightly different if you have a miracle such as the miracles of Jesus uh, in the context, in the whole context of the Bible and its scriptures. If a miracle comes within the context of the existence of God, the message of God, his word and his ways, his promises and his purposes. And then within that, you see uh, Jesus come in fulfilment of promises, performing signs in keeping with the promises he is fulfilling, uh, pointing to the purposes of God, such as in John chapter 2 here. We don't just have Jesus going, check this out. Um, What do you dare me to do? Water into wine? There you go. Boom. That's what you could call a wonder. A wonder. A marvel, a miraculous wonder. Instead, what we have are signs throughout John's gospel. The, the word he chooses regularly is signs. We even get it said here, at the end of the two verse eleven, the story of the water and the wine. This is his first miraculous sign. He thus revealed his glory. He's showing something, pointing to something, in his in his miracle. In this case, drawing on a very long symbolic connection to the idea of wine as a sign of God's new age, that hills will flow with wine. they will be feasting in the kingdom of God when it dawns and so forth. Drawing on these kinds of images in the context of a wedding, another image-rich concept in the Old Testament stories of the marriage of God with his people uh, in, in the con- conclusion of all his purposes and promises. That is, we have within a worldview, a philosophical worldview, and then within a prophetic, explanatory framework, interpretative, authoritative signs. That is, the Bible is not kind of written to people who are saying, how do I know God exists? Prove it to me. And then it's like, check this out. Here's a a wonder to show you that God exists. That kind of thing. The Bible is written in the context of people who already believe there's a God or gods of some kind, the question is not, is there a God or not? How can you know? Give me a miracle to prove it. Um, But but rather a case of going, if there are gods, if there's a spiritual world, what's God like? What's God up to? Which God is the real God? It's a slightly different answer. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not so much, ah, see, gotcha, I have to believe in God now. (laughs) Uh, That's a bigger process that doesn't just require kind of evidence, but also uh, kind of underlying thinking and intuition, you know, could there be a God that gives a a origin to the universe, a ground to being, a source for meaning, a sense of purpose, these kinds of things, you know, within that context that there could be a God, then a miracle begins to then speak about what that God might be like, which God is the, the true and living God. interestingly actually that the bible has a certain degree of ambivalence about someone who becomes a believer only because of miracles i don't know if you noticed that at the end of chapter two but uh, we read here of people flocking to jesus because he did miracles verse 23 while he was in jerusalem at the passover feast many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name but, verse 24, Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them for he knew all men and he didn't need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in a man or what was in people, you know, people's testimony about people. He he could see that this particular kind of disciple is kind of flocking to the, the wonder, uh, the marvel, not actually repenting and trusting in the person, in God and his saviour. And so Jesus holds an arm's length. It's very different, isn't it, to the kind of, preacher and evangelist who is front and centre always about miracles and saying believe because of the miracle, believe and you'll get miracles. Very different here. Jesus often in fact does his miracles, there's a certain degree of uh, discreetness about them. He often tells people uh, to not tell others about them. He's reluctant when his mother Mary speaks to him about the water and the wine and he doesn't identify. He doesn't stand up and go, okay everybody attention, check this one out. First of all, ordinary water, as you can see, ladies and gentlemen. doesn't do that, does he? He, he, he just gives the instruction quietly so that people are going, where's this awesome wine coming from? <laughs> is the kind of the discussion that happens. Yeah? There's a certain degree, later on in John chapter 6, Jesus says to crowds that come to him, he doesn't say, ah, crowds, look at this, miracles and crowds, I must be legitimate. Instead he says, you guys have just come because you are hungry and I'm making food. That's it. You're just interested in surface level stuff and, Jesus says, he's not particularly interested in mere crowds, mere popularity, but something deeper, what the sign is pointing to. So, the first step in our little exploration is that, uh, there's nothing fundamentally nonsense about the concept of a miracle. The second is suggesting that within a, you could call a, religious historical context, within a framework of believing in God and God's work in history, there is more reason to take the testimony of miracles seriously within that context. It warrants uh, some some credibility to certain miracles in certain contexts. Thirdly, though, uh, this is a more sociological argument, methodological argument, is it unhelpful to believe in miracles? Does a miracle mindset get in the way of science? That instead of seeing something new and strange and going, I wonder why, I wonder how, what caused it, what could be behind that? You just go, ah, you know, it's, it's the, the God of the weird did that. The God of the physics did that. Oh, it's just the God of the style. Yeah. You, you're no longer curious. Oh, that person died. How did they die? Ah, oh, it's just the death God, just the grim reaper. Yeah, it was God's time, these kinds of things. Does it get in the way of human investigation and exploration? Does it create what's been called the problem of the God in the gaps? Which is um, you insert God into the gap of an explanation. Any gap in explanation, God did it. Um, and often those gaps shrink as human knowledge grows. So if your um, knowledge about the, the world, if your sorry, if your reason in believing in God is based on what we can't explain then when that gets explained, you go, oh, there goes one more reason why I believed in God in the first place. Oh, that got explained too. There goes another reason why I believed in God. And so those gaps can shrink. Does that mindset an openness to miracles, a credibility about miracles lead to gullibility, lead to a superstitious pre-scientific perspective? Well, clearly not in practice. (laughs) Because many, many people hold to a range of religious beliefs that have an openness to miracles, who are also heavily involved in scientific endeavour and rational endeavour of many sorts. Clearly, over centuries, for every story you have of those who are religious stopping investigation in one way or another. You also have conservative scientific community people also stopping new investigations because they don't think it's plausible. And you also have religious people open to investigating new things because of their, their exploration, in fact, because of their religion. Many of the people, for example, involved in the, um, the modern scientific revolution uh, were very much pursuing that with a conviction that they were reading the book of nature. Here's the, the book of scripture. And because they believed the book of scripture told them God made the natural world, that in addition to reading about God's work in scripture, through their scientific study, they could... Read God's book of nature, and learn more about God's ways and how it works and why it works, and learn then how to help people uh, with their better understanding and the new ways of helping that comes from that understanding. Yeah. Um, so, so no, the belief in miracles does not rule out that stuff. There's a strong history of religious intellectual pursuit. Um, and uh, investigation and doubt and revision and re-evaluation, huge legacy, you know? I think sometimes the caricature of science versus religion is drawn from very narrow cases, often cartoonishly described, whether it's the the Galileo affair or uh, the, uh, the early days of the Darwinian fundamentalist discussions in the United States and so on, and people zero in on a few cases. When you zoom back, The picture is far different, far, far different. Furthermore, even in the Bible itself, it's not like the distinction between miracles and other causes is absolute. You get examples um, where God will work to do a miracle and causes will be mentioned also. So, I mean, we talked about providence before. How does rain come? Well, the Bible says God rules all things, holds everything together, God sends the rain. But even the ancient books of the Old Testament also speak of the water cycle, that the rain comes onto the earth, the streams flow into the sea, the sea is never full, back to where uh, the waters came from, they return again. We have descriptions of the natural cycles of the world from a more closed system point of view, both features. Or... When a, when a plague comes upon people, we might also get descriptions of, of the, the rats or the, the insects involved in that process or the winds blowing uh, before the great exodus events. It, it's not a simple either or. The God can't continue to use natural causes. So another example is conversion. Uh, very few Christians, when they talk about conversion, say, can't explain it. Jake became a Christian, no explanation, sheer miracle. No, (laughs) you are a miracle, mate. Um, uh, uh, But people will say both. God did something extraordinary in Jake's life or whoever's life and here are some of the ways he worked through his family, through this church, through this up and down experience, through these larger social forces, yeah? Even Christian supernaturalists can study history of, of, say, conversions, and point to social causes and factors and psychological causes and factors at the same time, yeah? There is a difference between explanatory laziness and uh, uh, pre-scientific superstition uh, and thoughtful beliefs of a range of kinds, yeah? Whether atheistic or religious. So no, belief in miracles is not nonsense. Yes, there are good reasons to be sceptical about believing in miracles, but not so much in the right context that you rule them out entirely, as David Hume does. And while there are similarly reasons to be cautious of a kind of a credulous, gullible, unscientific, anti-scientific outlook, um, that there are actually many good religious reasons to be engaged in scientific pursuit while also being open to miracles. But as I close, let me just, we uh, will have a little time for questions, it's 25 past. Uh, let me sort of zoom back and think back in the context of if there is a God, and a God made you, and God rules the world, and God is speaking into this world and interrupting his ordinary ways of working at times to show a purpose to have mercy on guilty people and to bring judgment to an unjust world and to make all things new at the end of all things, um, then what does that mean for you or I? If that's true, it means that I may not want to believe in God. I may have personal barriers, uh, spiritual obstacles in the way of me believing in God, even if the evidence were there, even if I were presented with all the evidence in the world. That's what we see in the Gospels. Jesus doing remarkable things, people nevertheless choosing in the end to betray him and, and crucify him. That even if I had all the evidence in the world, I may not, even if I could see it's not incoherent, it's not unjustified, it's not unwise, that I might still choose to say no to God, unless God softens my heart and enables me to see him, receive him, trust him and follow him. Because the signs Jesus did are signs that point to something. They point to God's mercy, point to God as chapter three speaks of new birth being born again and that no one can see the kingdom of God Jesus says in three verse three unless they are born again and so I need to pray for myself pray for you I need to as I'm exploring these things at least be aware of that fact that if there's any truth here I need more than just evidence I need to be born again I might pray briefly and then we can take a few questions or comments um, Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for this time to think about these things and we pray for one another that we might be able to have both intellectual obstacles but also deep spiritual obstacles removed be given new life and new eyes to see you, and trust you and receive your mercy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys. If there are any questions or comments. If we want to know more about what resources would you suggest to us? about this particular topic yeah. yeah um so uh there i guess there it depends what format you like um okay. <laughs> so so if you like listening to stuff then uh, an australian evangelist um john dixon um who's written and spoken in a whole range of contacts for a long time he's got a podcast called underceptions <laughs> Undeceptions, um, and he covers a whole range of topics, including touching on this kind of stuff. And so you could subscribe to his Undeception. It's a really highly polished podcast. He sometimes kind of makes it overly polished, like commercial TV. So it might be a bit 1.5 speed at points. But re- I'm mean, like, he, he speaks to kind of leading um, theologians and intellectuals and all sorts from around the world. And so it's really interesting. Undeceptions is great if you want to listen to stuff. If you want to watch stuff, then there's an Australian guy working in the UK called Glenn Scrivener, I think it is. Um, he's both written, but also does this YouTube called Speak Life. Is it Speak Life? Yeah, Speak Life is a good one to check out. And again, he deals with a lot of these things. And he's a really engaging speaker. A bit more down to earth, I think, in style than John Dixon. So if you're not quite so sure for the... He's not quite as polished, but still really what it does is good. If you want to read, um, then one of the, um, the older but established... Kind of formal philosophical works that's kind of interesting to look at if you're up for something highbrow is a book by uh, philosopher Richard Swinburne called *The Existence of God* he has a chapter on miracles in that. Richard Swinburne. Um, if you're after something slightly smaller, then Tim Keller, um, a former pastor in New York, has written a book called *The Reason for God* and a prequel to it called *Something*. The meaning for God. Making making sense of God. There you go. So so Tim Keller's couple of books any others that others would recommend if you end up looking at any of those faith and in, in a say like a future sessions want to report on your findings give a little kind of um, kind of review of one of them that that'd be chat to Andy yeah and we can line that up like Brady did the book review um, last Thursday you can tell us which one you actually liked <laughs> He just got Richard Swinburne. Yeah. I mean, that could well be, if they still have books in the Morris Miller Library, that could well be there well in the first of section. Awesome. Have a great day, everyone. And um, yeah, remember if you want to grab posters, um, stick up, uh, help yourself.